everybody. Kook's coming to you with another segment. Uh, like, not really solo segment. We've got a guest. Actually, we've got a returning guest. So my friend Andrew Brookhausen is with us this evening. And uh, we're going to talk about the zone system in, let's call it, plain English. So uh, you might be cringing a little bit, but I think this is going to be really good. So more importantly, though, welcome back to the show, Andrew. Thank you. Glad to be here. Hey, we're glad to have you. So, yeah, man, what what is the zone system? So the zone system is kind of one of those words or phrases in photography that makes people, I don't know, they either get really excited about it like me or they like curl into a ball and like get into the fetal position and and plug their ears because (laughs) it's scary and complicated and has math. Or, but, or maybe the other version of it is after the word system from zone system, they just hear Charlie Brown's parents talking. Could be. Could so be. we are, we are um, bravely or perhaps stupidly going to try <laughs> to explain the zone system in layman's terms so that it's not such an intimidating subject. Cause at the end of the day, it's not really all that complicated. No, if I can, if I can use it at all, it's not the complicated, okay? So yeah, so everyone, this, this is a it's a low barrier for you. <laughs> if I can do it, you can for sure. So, yeah. So I think yeah, I think you asked the right question. What is the zone system? And I tried really hard to figure out how to kind of explain it in one sentence, um, just so that at least at least people know what it is, right? Even if you decide it's not for you or you don't want to get into it, at least you know. I would say the zone system in one sentence is a method that enables you, the photographer, to visualize how you want the final print to look before you take the picture, and then you know how to get there. You know how to get from where you're standing to that final print. Now, obviously, a lot of uh, a lot of people are not going for a final print as their final destination or their final product, although you should. Yes, definitely. <laughs> but, uh, you know... Whether you are planning on printing it or not, it's okay to still use the zone system. The zone system applies whether you're shooting black and white film like, you know, like Ansel Adams did when he was developing the zone system, or if you're just shooting even digital, right? There's still parts of the zone system that I think apply. The idea of visualizing what you want it to look like when you're all done before you take the picture is really powerful. And it's like, that's probably the most important part of the zone system, way more so than, you know, doing the math and figuring out the right amount of time to develop your negatives and things like that. So even if you're a digital photographer, the zone system can still apply. Or if you're shooting color negative film or whatever, you don't have to be shooting black and white, large format, and then darkroom printing it to use the zone system. Uh, You know what? I totally agree with that. And well, go back to digital photographers, right? I mean, if they're looking at the histogram on the back of their camera, they're, whether they intend to or not, they're actually thinking about the image in zones so like he might accidentally be doing the zone system and not realizing it yeah that's totally true the histogram is just like a a cheat code for using the zone system in a way (laughs) (laughs) it sure is so i think before we get into it um you know we're not going to try to explain the process of calibrating your development times or anything like that but we kind of want to get the concepts across i think before we dive too much into the zone system itself we have to talk a little bit about metering Probably, I mean, probably almost anyone listening to this podcast has metered, has metered before, right? Like the idea of taking some kind of a reading, whether it's just with your camera's meter or an app on your phone, or maybe you have a dedicated meter, 
um, but taking a reading of how much light you have to work with so that you can figure out what your exposure needs to be. Uh, and there's kind of two approaches to metering, right? There's sort of the, the easy version, which is just pointing your camera at the scene, and the camera will usually tell you, do this. <laughs> right. Or it will tell you, you know, some, some, like I have, you know, some cameras that will say, oh, well, you need this shutter speed based on the aperture that you put in. Or I have cameras that will say, here's a little stick with a loop at the end of it, and here's a needle, and you have to get them to line up. That's how yeah. a lot of my meters work, right? And that's fine. Yeah. Um, but when you're using the zone system, especially if you're shooting black and white film, uh, you're going to benefit a lot from using a spot meter instead. Do you have a spot meter? Absolutely. Uh, I couldn't live without it. Um, and it looks like it too, by the way, it's hit the ground a few times and uh, it's, it looks like it's had a hard life, but, uh, but it keeps on working. That's good. So. That's good. Yeah. I have, uh, I actually have two spot meters. So I, my dad had, um, a Minolta spot meter F that he used all way back when he was shooting his RP67 a lot. Um, and uh, so I sort of inherited that. <laughs> um, okay. It's at my house anyway. And uh, and I used that for a long time, and it's great. Um, I got a second one because I wanted to save some space in my large format backpack. So I bought the Raveni Labs uh, spot meter a little bit. I actually helped with the Kickstarter, if I remember. Oh, correctly. nice. Yeah, I just saw it and I was like, it's so tiny. <laughs> so yeah. I bought that too. And that's the one I use now for most of my field work. And I love that thing. It is fantastic. So um, the advantage of a spot meter is that you can pick a tiny part of your scene to meter, right? You don't just have to point it in the general direction of your photo and say, well, I guess this. Right. Uh, you can you can meter individual tiny pieces of it and the reason you want to do that is because if you're using the zone system you're not just trying to figure out what the right exposure is you're trying to make a decision about what you want the exposure to be and while you're finding that out you're also going to find out what your development needs to be um so right trying to try not to dive down the rabbit hole too quickly here basically you need to know the dynamic range of your scene. You need to know the contrast of the scene in front of you. Right. So, so when we say contrast, we're, we're talking about how bright the brightest area is in comparison to how dark the darkest area is. Right. Yep. So people will talk about, you know, high contrast image and maybe a good description of a, a high contrast scene or image would be out in the desert at 12 o'clock noon in july right where the sun's beating straight down and you have really bright sand and if there's a car the shadow underneath the car is like black and if you stare at it with your eyeballs it still takes you a couple seconds for your eyes to adjust enough for you to see any any detail in that shadow so that would be like a really high contrast uh, scene versus yeah. like in the shadow of a building right if you're you're looking in the shadow of a building there's no hard light falling anywhere that'd be a more low contrast scene exactly right? things like and that. that's honestly that's where i prefer to shoot is like cloudy days are my favorite because it's yes. really easy to fit the contrast range of the scene into one exposure yep. you, you yep. don't have to think about it too much well, hey, that's one thing I wanted to say. Uh, all of this stuff we're talking about, the zone system, you can in many ways, like nix most of it if you carefully select when you take your pictures. We, we don't always have the choice, right? But if you can take your pictures in good light, you're way better off than being in like really harsh light and trying to work around that. 
Yep. Yeah, and we have to be careful because good light means a lot of different things to different people. But, it it but can. Low it can. contrast light, right? So a cloudy yes. day, yeah, it's not going to take a lot of effort to work with the amount of contrast in your scene. Whereas if you're shooting something high contrast, like a sunset or something like that is a good example, yeah. it's actually really difficult to get it all to fit all in one exposure. Yes. So w- when you shoot digital, you have you know kind of the option of just bracketing your exposures and you can combine them later and that's that's nice. Unfortunately, that's not quite as viable of an option for film. So that's why we have to use the zone system to figure out what's the range of the scene and how am I gonna fit it into the contrast range I have to work with. So, um, and that's, I guess, where we started all this by talking about why you would want a spot meter. The spot meter lets you take a, you know, a reading of the ground or a shadowy area that you want to have detail in. You don't want it to look black in your print. You can meter that and figure out how, you, how much you need to expose the film to get detail in there. And then you can meter the bright spot of the scene, so maybe the sky or a cloud or something like that, and say, okay, how much brighter is this than that dark area? And yes. once you know that and you know how many stops are in between them or how many zones are in between them, then you can go, okay, I need to do something after I expose this to make sure I don't come out with too contrasty of a negative. Or I don't need to. Or maybe even I would like to have a little bit more contrast in my negative than I'm going to get if I just develop this negative normally. So that's the the value of a spot meter. And I honestly don't think I would be able to shoot – you know, my large format black and white stuff that is headed for the darkroom. I don't think I could do that very effectively if I wanted to use the zone system without a spot meter. No. Well, there's there's always desperation measures, right? And one of the best hints I ever heard, and I've tested it. I haven't always had to rely on it, but, but I've tested it. That is, grass is a really good stand-in for middle gray. If you're ever in like a giant rush, because that happens, right? We don't always have the time. Something, you see something happening or the lights changing, clouds are moving, things like that. And you need to take a picture. If you don't have the time to really be anal, if you can, if you can measure grass that is in the same angle as the camera's looking at it, that's a really good stand in for, for your zone five or your middle gray and a good thing to shoot at. So I didn't make that up that that I think that's like sunny 16. It's been around for a real long time, but it's, it's something to remember in the back of your head if you ever need it. Absolutely. I would say that's a step above sunny 16 and how useful it's going to be. Sunny 16 will get you in the ballpark and you'll probably be okay. You'll, you'll come up with something printable most likely, but if you can meter anything, you're, you're ahead of the curve. Um, hang on a second though. I I got a question for you. So, uh, so you know what I've I've just been um, you know I got a smartphone app right I got an app on my phone and I usually use that it but sometimes I don't get really good results so how could I use my my phone app to to try to help me out a little bit in the way that you're saying between the the lightest and the darkest yeah so sometimes it's kind of hard to tell right it's hard to tell what exactly your meter on your your app on your phone is taking into account is it looking at the entire scene that's showing on my phone right. screen. Or like my the app that I use as like Plan B when I forgot my meter, yeah, uh, it has like a little circle on there that almost kind of looks like that's where it's metering, but I'm not actually convinced that that is where it's metering. <laughs> so you just have to be careful. But if you if you don't have a spot meter and you want to try this anyway, um, f- try to fill up 
your frame with just the area you want to meter right and if that means you have to like walk 20 yards up to the shadowy area in your scene and point your phone at it to get it filled up that's fine yep and then you can kind of point it straight up at at the sky to get your your higher reading and that's that's going to be a lot better than you know hoping to split the difference or just taking one reading of the whole scene and, and hoping that it gets it right Definitely. And that's exactly where I was going with that is, is yeah, you can take the high and low and just see how far apart they are. And that's, yep. that's the important part. We don't necessarily need to know every single zone in between. We just, what's the, the most important is what's the lowest, what's the highest, how far away are they and what do we have to do? But I didn't mean to, to run you over there. So no, you're all good. I, I don't, we spend as much time as we need to on this until I explain it clearly. Right. <laughs> the idea of metering though, is knowing not only what the best exposure is, but what the exposure is that's going to give you detail in your shadows that you care about in the scene. And while you're at it, if you're shooting and using the zone system, you're also going to want to know, you know, how much development do I give my negative? Because the more development you give your negative, the longer it's in the developer, the more contrast you're going to get in it. And so um, that kind of gets into the the calibration that we're not going to touch on too much. But basically, eventually, if you want to be using the zone system every time you go out and shoot, you're going to figure out what the right development time is for different levels of contrast in your negative. Right. And so let me add one little thing to that. Right. So you said that the longer you develop the film the or the lab or whoever, the longer they develop it, then the more contrast you're going to have. And the reason why is that the longer you develop the, the extend development time, it doesn't evenly push the whole negative brighter. Right. If there's no detail, it's there's an old saying that says, if it ain't on film, it ain't on film. Right. So like if you have empty shadows, no amount of of developing it for a really long time will help those shadows. But the longer that you develop, it will push the midtones and the highlights a lot higher. So what you said about the longer you develop, it adds contrast. That's exactly what happens. The brights keep getting brighter, but the shadows stay where they are. Yeah. So you've probably heard that phrase exposed for the shadows developed for the highlights. That's, that's exactly what we're doing with the zone system. Right. And we're not just doing that in like general terms. We're doing that in like numerical terms once everything is calibrated and metered. But the idea being, if you didn't expose enough to get detail in your highlights, there's no amount of development that's going to fix that. That's it. That's it. it. It's the same way if you shoot digital, right? You're the sin, the mistake that you can't recover from is blowing the highlights. If you blow the highlights in digital, they don't come back. You can never get them back. Yeah, you, you can, can use... slide the Lightroom slider all the way down, and it's just <laughs> going to make your white areas turn to a gray instead. But yep. you won't get the detail back out of them. No, no. But in in some ways, what what we're trying to do is the the analog to expose to the right. Right. With with digital, you you don't want to blow your highlights, but you want to get as much detail and information as you can. Um, we're in the same way. We're trying to get as much detail in the shadows and then we can recover the highlights back through development. Yep. So we've already done something I was hoping not to do, which is throwing a lot of terminology around. You're right. I think a big part of demystifying what the zone system is, is probably just making you know using clear terminology and making sure people know what we're talking about so i did i did write some words down here in my notes for stuff we need to make sure we define and we should probably do that before we go any further the first word is probably zone right right even is a zone what are we talking about we've said it like 200 (laughs) times already and there's somebody out there listening going like okay like 
that makes sense, but what's a zone? You're driving in the car, stuck in traffic, and you're like, doggone it, will you tell what is a zone? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not the steering wheel. I can just see it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for your patience. We got we got your definition right here. A zone is I mean, pretty much a shade of gray, right? So any the idea of a zone came out of photographic paper. When you have a print, the the darkest black you can possibly get on that print, um, sometimes called D max or density max, if you've heard those terms, that's zone zero in your print. That is the darkest possible thing you can see in a print. And then on so the other you're, end, you're calling that paper black, right? Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. a, that's a absolute. Okay. So all right. Yep. Yeah. The the darkest black you can get on your paper. Um, and if you shine a ton more light on it, it's not going to get any blacker. That's zone zero. <laughs> on the other side of the scale is zone 10. So that is paper-based white. That is the whitest possible value you can get on your paper. It's no the, exposure. the color it's... the paper looks like if you didn't expose it at all, right? Yeah, so here, here I've got a ton of paper, of black D-Max paper of stuff that I misexposed, exposed in the daylight somehow or screwed up and then just threw it on the side, and it's exposed to daylight, right? So that's full, and then the paper white, right, is no exposure. So that'd be, that'd be your border, right, if you use an easel and have a border. Uh-huh, exactly. Okay. That's perfect. So uh, every zone in between those is, you know, some version of gray, basically. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully with some detail and texture and image in there, too, not just gray, but uh, that's those are the caps. So um, if you see it written out, the zones are usually denoted with a Roman numeral. Other than zero, I don't know what the Roman numeral for zero is, but uh, there probably isn't one. That would be a, a regular zero, but zone one is like zone I, zone two is yeah. zone II, and so forth. Zone 10 is zone X. So uh, the zones you want to care about are zone five, which is middle gray, right? If you point your meter at something and your meter tells you exposure settings, those are the exposure settings if you want to expose that thing at zone five, at middle gray. With a spot meter, with a spot meter. Yes. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Or if you point, you know, a general meter at an entire scene, it's trying to basically get yes. your overall range as close as possible to centered on, you know, on zone five. So um, that's something to know when you're metering too, because if you point your spot meter at something that you want to be zone three, you know, darker than zone five in your final print, then you have to know that the number it's telling you is two zones higher than you really yep. want to expose it. Yep. So you have to interpret that. And and if you if you come back, another way of talking about how meters want to try to average things out to, to middle gray, have you ever taken a picture of something that's really bright and use the in-camera meter and it kind of comes out like darker than it should be? Well, if it's all bright, go back to that summer uh, in, the, in the desert and it's all sand and mountains and full sun. Well, the meter doesn't know that that's brighter than gray it's just trying to average it out right if you have a a camera meter right or the same thing if something's dark and you actually want it to be a little darker but if it's all dark it doesn't really know that it's trying to bring it to to 15 you know the gray sorry and then um so it's going to raise it too high right so that's where interpretation and and the human's mind has to step in yep the classic example is uh is a snowy day right and i think there's even yeah there were like point and shoot cameras that even had like a setting for oh, snow. like snowy day. And like, I'm pretty sure all it was, was just like 
oh, add two stops. Basically, right? right? Like, right. But if you, you know, if your whole scene is super bright white, your camera's still trying to make it middle gray, mm-hmm. and that's why it's going to underexpose uh, a snowy scene. So anyway, um, that's what Zone Five is, right? It's middle gray. Uh, the the zones you care about really kind of like the ends that are useful are zone three and zone eight so zone three is the darkest you can get and still have like detail so if you've got a landscape image that has like a shadowy tree trunk or something like that and you want to be able to see the texture of the bark and not just like kind of a blackish dark gray nothing you need to make sure that you've exposed that at least at zone three to get the information about the texture onto the film and then the same the same thing is true of like clouds or you know sometimes like flowing water is yeah. like the brightest spot if you've got like rapids or something like that um, but any whatever the brightest area of your scene is you'd like that to stay at or below zone eight if you want to record detail in it um, and, and that's so that you can get it all to fit into into the range that you have available in your print. So that's what the zones are. Oh, I should mention one more thing about zones is that they are one stop apart. So zone one is one stop brighter than zone zero. If you expose something at zone three and then open your aperture up one stop and expose the same thing, you've just exposed that same thing at zone four. Right. Yep. But but what I want to know, and I don't expect you to know the answer, but it's one of those things I need to look up is why is 18% middle gray or like the middle between the darkest and the highest because i'm like that's not even a round number i mean i guess it's nine but that's as, as close to round you know what i mean like i, I always uh, wonder- it has to do with the logarithmic scale right okay I, right. and i'm not a mathematician so i'm not going to try to explain this but it's something like when every time you go up a zone you've doubled the amount of light then oh, you get okay. to you get to the halfway point between pure black and pure white faster than if you like were going on a linear scale something along those lines. Oh, okay, okay, yep. So it's it's geometric uh, math, not just linear. Okay, all right, that makes a lot of sense. It's hey, look, it's just like what we were talking about with um with um, um f stop timing. So uh, with test strips, right? Yeah. So anyhow, same concept. For those right. of you who are still following along. <laughs> and hopefully that didn't just push you over the edge to say, I'm, I'm out. I'm you don't need to channel. know anything about logarithms to use the zone system. I should have said that up front. <laughs> nope. but, the um, middle gray is middle gray. It's yeah, just that. Zone five is middle gray. Zone yep. four is darker than middle gray. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> another term that we need to define is dynamic range. That's another one we've already used before we defined it. And I think probably a lot of people already know what that is. But the idea of dynamic range is how much difference there is between the darkest part of your scene and the lightest part of your scene. So a scene that has really high dynamic range is going to be harder to fit into the tonal scale you have available on your negative or your print. You have to, you know, you have to find ways to get it all to fit. If you don't, you'll have a lot of pure black and a lot of pure white where you want yep. it to see detail. A good example is Fuji Instax film. It's a lot like old slide film. You can have some detail in your shadows or you can have some detail in your highlights and you can't have both. <laughs> That's what I've learned. It's cool. It's I love the stuff, but it's uh it is it, it's a reminder. Yeah. Yep. And that ties into another term latitude. So if you've ever heard like a film that has a really high latitude or a wide latitude, um, a good example is like Portra or HP5 has really good latitude. It's like a really forgiving film. That's basically how good of a job does your film do recording detail when you 
have way too much dynamic range in the scene. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the least forgiving I know is slide film. Um, yeah. You don't even really get 10 stops out of slide film. You get something like seven, seven zones that you can use yeah. before you get into pure black or pure white. Yeah, definitely. Yep. Um, another term that we need to go over is density. So yeah, if you've ever heard of negatives described as dense or even uh, if you have like really, really dense negatives, sometimes people call them bulletproof. Huh. I hadn't heard that, but that's hilarious. Yeah. yeah, especially under the enlarger. It's taken me all day long to get some light through this stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So density is pretty literal. It's a pretty literal term. It's just how dense is the silver on your film or paper, right? Yeah. So darkroom paper is silver. And if you have more density, you have denser silver. That just means you have more black. It's a darker tone. So denser is darker. It works the same way on film. More density is more silver. But because film is a negative, you're going to invert it. Yep. A denser negative is actually going to result in like a lighter print or sometimes yep. overexposed print. Yep. Two negatives make a positive, right? That it was those inspirational posters take a negative and develop it into a positive. Oh. But yes, but that's what that's exactly what you're doing. Yep. Yes. Perfect. Um, so I think the only other term that I had written down here is. If you've read anything about the zone system, you've probably seen people typing notation like N or N plus one or N minus one. All that is is shorthand for developing your film to get more contrast into it or to get less contrast. So N is normal. I think it even stands for normal. Um, so if you have a scene where you metered the darkest shadow that you wanted to have detail in and it was like, okay, I'm going to put that one on zone three. And then you metered the brightest highlight that you wanted to have detail in, and it landed right on zone eight, just like that. Then you can do normal development, normal development time, and it will come out ready to print, no problem. Everything fits easy into that tonal range. Um, if you had a high contrast scene and you, you know, you metered your shadow and said, "Okay, that's zone three, and then you metered your highlight and said, "All right, that fell on zone nine." That means if I expose this and print it normally with normal development i'm going to lose some detail in that highlight that cloud isn't going to look like a cloud it's just going to look like a blank white space on the paper um, so what you have to do is develop it less you develop the film less so that you don't get as much contrast in it and if you develop it so that things that metered at zone nine land on zone eight after everything is said and done then that's n minus one contracted development and it's the same thing for n plus one right if, if you would like to add more contrast because you've got like a really dull day or something like that you can do n plus one development which is a little bit longer than n development and it will give you more contrast in your negative so that you can get you don't just have a bunch of like boring gray tones in there you can actually get some whites and some blacks which is important right you want that's the one thing i mean with prints even even if it's an inkjet print you know they they're used to the general idea is if you can go from pure black to pure white and if you can go everywhere in between that makes a nice print it's kind of like the rule of thirds is it really a rule it doesn't always have to be a rule but it's some of the most pleasing ones really do so if you can pull that off it's it's definitely a worthy goal yeah i think i mean i wouldn't go so far as to say that every single print needs to have a pure black and a pure white and every tone in between but if you decide not to have a pure black and a pure white 
there should be a reason for that decision, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, okay, I agree with you. Right, right. Yep, yep. Yeah, so that's all the terms I thought we really needed to define with like the the super condensed recap being the point of the zone system is to get a print that looks like the way you visualized it and to avoid the problems that might happen along the way of exposing badly or developing wrong so that you don't have the detail you want in your negative and you can't get it into the print. And if you're not shooting black and white film and darkroom printing, it's pretty easy actually to get, you know, to get the, what you need. If you're shooting color negative film and having it scanned, like you can, you can kind of break these rules, right? If you expose something and it landed on zone three and then your highlights landed on zone 12, color negative film has really high latitude. It's really forgiving. And so by scanning that and adjusting it in Lightroom or whatever the case may be, you can get a lot of detail back that, technically was overexposed but if you want to have the easiest possible time in the darkroom printing your darkroom negatives then getting the amount of development right so that the contrast range fits just right on your negative it's going to make it really easy so i shoot like three different film stocks in black and white i shoot um fp4 i shoot hp5 and i shoot delta 100 or like the three standard ones that i've actually gone through the effort to figure out you know, what is the film speed of this, the way I develop it? What development times do I need to use to get N or N plus one or N minus one? I've done all the legwork to get that all recorded and figured out. And so now I can go up to any scene and meter it and go, okay, this is how much exposure I need to give it. This is how much development I need to give it. And when I'm done, I can take that into the darkroom and there's like a 99% chance that it's going to print just fine on grade two paper. And I don't need to do any darkroom heroics to fix a bad negative. So, yes, I, and you know what, and the more you talk about this, it kind of reminds me of when people go and they take the step from, if they have a camera that they can manually meter, or if it's got any automatic modes, right? That, that step from going away from, an automatic mode to manual, you know, taking ownership of, of calling the shots on the settings. Right. And this is like going one step beyond, I'm not just trusting the meter in the camera. I'm actually picking apart what I'm looking at. Right. I shouldn't say picking apart because that sounds kind of negative, but no, you know but what I mean? Like really making a lot of conscious decisions about where yep. you want everything to land on your exposure yep. and on your negative. Yep. 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 And, and the truth, though, is that generally, I mean, for some reason, I, I read the, one of uh, Ken Rockwell's stories about that and about the zone system. And he's like, yeah, well, this is how you can place everything anywhere. And the way my brain worked, though, I'm like, well, what? A, how do I change that? You know, uh, I'm looking at the light in front of me. I can move it up or I can move it down, right? I can make it brighter or darker, but 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 what we're talking about, the other part of that is what you were talking about, Andrew, is adjusting the development time to compensate for that, right? To to get it where you want. Yeah. So that's how you actually control it. I think my biggest question is did you help Ken Rockwell support his growing family? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I I'm ashamed to say I've never donated to Ken Rockwell's growing family, but I have read not. a lot of his lens reviews and a lot I, of his hot takes. The original photography hot takes blog, Ken Rockwell. Oh man. It was well, and you know what? I maybe it's obvious how you're supposed to do to eBay how you're supposed to do eBay to everybody else, but like I didn't really get the right way of doing it till I read his article about it. You know, yeah, the, I, the I, I'm not knocking Ken Rockwell. 
Oh no, I wasn't trying to say you were. <laughs> not at all. But it, it no, is funny because I mean, well, I mean, because <laughs> the guy's always like, "Yeah, my growing family," and yet you know you can see the pictures of the cars he's taking, and you know what I mean, and like this stuff. And it's like, all right, I, I think your family's all right, buddy. <laughs> but it's yeah, not I, for I, me I, to judge. But I'll, yeah. I'll be quiet about Ken Rockwell. I don't have a lot of <laughs> things to say about Ken Rockwell. So I'll, I'll well, from derailing the podcast any further. All right. Well, I'll, one thing I will say, though, I, toward him that I do appreciate is that guy, a lot of what he says, though, is focusing on what you have and working with what you have. Even though he does reviews and stuff like that, is always looking at the new stuff. Usually he's like, it's it's what you want it to be. Work with what you have. Don't carry too much gear and get drugged down playing with your gear and not taking the picture. And there is some truth to that. I think it's, it's a good principle. Yep. Okay. I'll give him that. I'll so, give you that. And I, I will say one thing nice about Ken Rockwell is that he actually is, he's the easiest place to find reviews on like obscure old lenses that I'm thinking about buying on KEH that I don't. Yeah. Need. Yeah. <laughs> no, he does have a, a lot of good info on that. You're right about that. But yeah, anyway, um, yeah, I guess to, to get back on track with, <laughs> like I guess the easiest way to put it is that your exposure, you know, in camera works the same way as the exposure slider in Lightroom, right? You can go up and down. Yeah, that's your yeah. your development time is basically your contrast slider, right? Yes. You, you can add or remove contrast with with development time changes and you can add or remove like brightness and shadow detail, especially with exposure changes. And that's between those two controls, you can get a print that looks the way you want it to. Now, if you want to, you know, change things inside of the print, you know, an area that you want to just be brighter a little bit in that one area or something like that, that's where you start getting into dodging and burning, which is a whole nother podcast. But, yeah. but if you have a negative that has the right contrast in it, then printing gets pretty easy. And if you have a negative that you have to wrestle with, Printing can be uh, an exercise in frustration, to be sure. It absolutely can be. I can speak from experience. Um, yeah. And it is the other funny thing is you do seem to find that people who print in the darkroom don't shoot every film on the face of the earth. They invest a lot of time in figuring out, you know, like in your case, two or three, two or three. Like for me, I mostly shoot T Max 100. That's my, if I can have my tripod in time, that's that's what I use. Um, obviously, I don't have anything large format, so it's all 120. Um, so the cost isn't too big of a deal. But but then I'll shoot maybe Tri X or or HP5, and I'm not going to say they're the same, but they have similarities. But I don't stray too far from that. So um, what's what's it? Um, um, Andrew, uh, the guy from the large format photography podcast, the, the British guy, English guy, um, who says, uh, you like to eliminate variables and that <laughs> <Yes>. sounds, <laughs> it sounds so dry and unexciting, but it's so important and it is, it is exciting because when you do put that negative in, in the enlarger and you can print something without pulling your hair out, it's wonderful. Yeah, and I, I mean, I like to tinker with new things and try new films out and stuff as much as the next guy. I really do. But these days, if I'm going to try a new black and white film, it has to do something that really wows me to motivate me to be like, well, I'll do the testing and the math to figure out what the development times are for this so that I can yeah. use it with like confidence going forwards, right? So yep. a good example of that is Fuji Acros. Um, I 
everybody loves Fuji Acros, right? Like I've never heard anybody be like, oh, I don't really like it. Everybody who shoots that film loves it. I decided to give it a try because I was like, what's this Acros thing all about? And I shot it in and I, you know, I just took a shot in the dark. You, know, you can find development times and stuff. So I, I came out with a usable negative and I scanned it and I printed it and I just looked at it and I was like, it's just not doing anything for me that I can't already get out of Delta 100. And so I just don't, I never yep. shot Fuji Acros again. I also don't have to worry that Delta 100 is going to get discontinued tomorrow. So I have that advantage, but yep. I just, it wasn't like, I'm having a hard time figuring out like what it would take at this point to get me to adopt another black and white film and calibrate it to use with yep. a zone system. Cause I'm, I'm covered. I got my bases covered with my three go-tos. And that's, I think that's the point that, that comes across to the listeners really well is that once you invest the time into something and you know what you're going to get from it, there's not a whole lot of, of inclination to go, you know, try something different because you know what you're going to get. And, and the, the other part of it is that the film is only one step on the way to the final the print right not that it's unimportant it's humongously important but it's not the end of of the game so i suppose if if a person is shooting and their intention is to always have it on a screen and they're not really thinking about printing you know that changes the game a little bit i think we talked about that a little bit why people might push and do some kind of crazy stuff because if if once it's on the screen that's the 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 end of it then it makes sense but yep yeah i think um it's easy to say that like how do i put this i think that using the zone system if you're doing it right it's about the visualization like that's that's the most important part of the zone system that's the part that applies to any kind of photography is are you are you setting a goal for yourself to try to reach before you click the shutter or are you just like firing blindly and hoping something nice comes out or, and obviously there's middle grounds between those two things. But yeah. Like, the idea of going out and like working very methodically and having a image in my head of what I want this print to look like at the end has been enormously valuable for me. And so even though I don't spot meter when I'm shooting digitally because I don't need to. <laughs> right. Like it's a lot easier to arrive at that final yeah that final vision if i just you know i can take the picture look at the histogram oh it's too much contrast okay i'll bracket yep. and then in lightroom i combine them and then i have my sliders to play around with all i want and so it's like i don't need to do all of the like work of spot metering or the work of calibrating right. development times obviously for digital the concept that i'm like had an idea of what i wanted it to look like when i was done is is more valuable than anything else in the zone system and that's the part i think that applies to everyone now if you're darkroom printing black and white film i think it's worth taking the time to calibrate your film it sounds really intimidating and we're not going to cover it on this podcast because there's not a good way to explain how to do it in an audio only format but i think that uh that's the subject of a future youtube video for me one of these days is just to just do a really simple here's all the way through it's not that hard I mean, you pretty much take some test frames, you take a few measurements off of them, you plug them into a spreadsheet that you know, I made a spreadsheet to do the thinking for me and it will tell you, okay, this was not developed long enough, but it was overexposed or, or vice versa, or this is dead on. You have the exact right development time. And like, I can basically go from zero to being totally confident that I have good calibration and development times and stuff in like two rolls most of the time. 
So it's pretty cool. It's, it's not as hard as it sounds, and it's not that intimidating. It's just not really something I want to try to explain on podcasts. So one of these days, we'll get a YouTube video out, and I'll I'll link it. Sounds good, man. Because yes, I if we <laughs> hopefully we haven't lost everyone so far, <laughs> but if we start talking about that, might be. Um, but because because you got to figure most people listen to podcasts when they're driving, right? I, I don't know. Maybe that's broad. That's that's where I usually listen to podcasts is when I'm driving. That's usually when I have the most free um, brain space, right? <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I do listen to a lot of podcasts when I'm examining my collection of densitometers, but um, most people probably, yeah, when they're driving. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right. So, so we caught everything. So yeah, I think so. I think I think the goal of this was to make I don't know, explain the zone system and help people understand that like it's not this horrible complicated monster. It's just a set of tools that help you have an easier time when it comes time to darkroom print something and just helps you work in a way that you're you know, you're heading towards a destination that you wanted to get to instead of just driving aimlessly and yeah, what comes out. And, and a little positive practice that you can do anytime, anywhere that you are, if you're thinking about trying this out, is just look at what's in front of you and figure out what's the brightest thing in front of you and what's the darkest thing in front of you. Maybe what's a little bit brighter than dark or like, a, you know, and just to get good at picking that out. So then if you ever actually do point your meter that way, you already got that part down because that's yep. an important part is knowing what actually is the brightest. It's true. <laughs> it's the, not as easy as it sounds to take no. the skill that takes some practice. And it's the same thing in the darkroom, even if you're not using the zone system. You know, when you do test strips and darkroom printing, you kind of have to figure out like where in this projected image on my baseboard, where is the darkest spot and the brightest spot? Because that's where you want to do your test strips so that you can figure out, you know, yeah what controls to apply to your enlarger to get the contrast that you want in your final print and the brightness. Or you can do what I do concept. sometimes, or kill yourself working on getting uh, getting test strips just the way you want, and then go make a whole test print and find out you were test stripping the wrong spot of the print. Oh, man. <laughs> Start over again. It. I still do it. <laughs> yep. I, it's, uh, it's a never-ending. I will never be perfect at darkroom printing. That's part of what makes it fun, I guess. But yep, I hey. still do that. I've been printing for like, I don't know, a decade, something wow. like that. I've been, I mean, since I like really got serious about, you know, darkroom work. And I still have times where I go in with a negative that there's nothing wrong with that negative. Like I did it right, you know, and I'm making my test strips and then I'm like, okay, this looks good. And I make my first print and I'm like, yep, that's not supposed to be pure white. <laughs> so uh, well, uh, now I'll, I'll ease up on myself a little bit. So, uh, cause I, I've, I've done that more than once myself. So, all right. Well, thank you for coming to the podcast and I really appreciate you sharing your knowledge with us. Cause I think, I think that the goal of, of making people a little bit more informed about what the zone system is and if it gave them chicken skin, maybe that's, that's eased up a little bit. Maybe they don't quite hear Charlie Brown's parents now. Maybe it comes into to focus a little more uh, when someone mentions it. And um, yeah, Andrew, uh, where can people uh, check you out? Uh, probably the most active place I am is Reddit, which is kind of a weird place. I'm not really on Instagram. Um, I'm on Flickr, but no one else is. So I do have a website. It's copecphotography.com, and you can reach me there. But if you want to find me on Reddit, I'm uh, you 
slash B underscore H U I J. Uh, and I, I love nothing more than getting messages and comments from people who are like, Hey, I have this weird niche question about some facet of darkroom work. Can you help me out? That's my favorite thing to do. So I, I will happily type you paragraphs of detailed explanations for how to <laughs> test your film and calibrate for the zone system. If that's what you're into, just, uh, yeah, reach out to me. One thing it's probably too late by the time this airs. I don't know when this is going to air. But uh, signups are open for a print exchange I'm running right now. Um, they're going to be closed on October 15th. So okay. if you hear this and they're already closed, sorry. But you can head over to r slash print exchange on Reddit. And we'd love to have you sign up, anyone and everyone. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on, Andrew. And uh, we'll look forward to the next time. Yeah, thank you. All right. Uh, wait, you know the line. Oh, I do. I know. I, I got this thing in the chamber. <laughs> Everyone stay positive and shoot some cool film photos. <laughs>